Episode 8 of the SFCBL Triple Play Podcast, live once again from our homie studio in Lantana, Florida. Brian Mermelstein, Jack Mazagy, Lexic Australian here. And guys, this is our second to last episode together. And it could not be any more sad. But Jack, vibe check. How we doing? Visual. Just a visual for the fans at home. I I have a... Small teardrops going down my cheek <laughs> oh, every no. every uh, three or f- three or four minutes. Uh, it's, it's pretty sad. We're yeah. coming down in the final stretch here, and uh, I've really had a fun summer. So it's it's a little tough. Yeah, a little bittersweet. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the summer just flew by. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like we just set up the stew a week ago. What's going on? It was almost yesterday that I didn't have air conditioning in my car. Oh my god! Oh wow, my. what a time that was. Oh yeah. But the thing is, I think right when it really hit was, uh, I would say a day or two before the halfway point in the season. I believe we had a podcast here, and then up until right now was just a blur, bl- blink of an eye. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. yeah. Just yesterday, we were doing a photo shoot at the hotel. And my God, setting up the makeshift studio in a hotel room. Started from the bottom, and now we are here. We're here. Second to last podcast. We made it. So, a lot to get over. We had the All-Star Game this weekend. We had the Home Run Derby this weekend. Jack, I know you're really excited to talk about that. Um, and we're coming down the home stretch. So, at the time we're recording this, it's Tuesday. It is Tuesday, July 20th. Um, and the playoff race is still very much anyone's game. Uh, you take a look at the standings right now where they really don't matter after today. Or after. You know, it's the top six teams, regardless of uh, division, division affiliation. Uh, nothing matters. So, but I'll, I'll go down the standings just, just, just for, just to do it. So the Barracudas are in first place. Shock of, in the world of the North Division at twenty and fifteen. They are trailed just by a little bit by the Delray Beach Lightning, who are on a three-game skid. Followed by the Boynton Beach Buccaneers at 19 and 17. And then the Blazers finishing the regular season on a six-game win streak. They stand at 18 and 20. And then the Palm Beach Diamond Ducks are 15 and 18. The Blazers with two gigantic doubleheader wins at the Ducks to really pull ahead and almost to the point where they're not looking back. Uh, the Ducks have a few more games against some tall opponents uh, to decide playoffs, but they are very much on the outside looking in at this point. Yeah, I mean, when I tell you that this year has been so different from the past, I mean, these standings just say it all. Never could I have guessed. I mean, love them, but the Barracudas in first place in the North, that's it's a crazy twist of fate. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something new. The Lightning were in control, the Bucks were in control, but both of them have... Lost a few games, and the Kudas are now in first. Taking a look at the South Division, the Palm Beach Extremes stand at 23-9, and nine, and the Snappers at 24-10. and 10. They are both tied atop the South Division. Although on point streak, it says the Extreme are on a one-game win streak. That's not true. They lost last night. So not sure what's going on with that, but they are trailed by the Pompano Beach Clippers, the Fort Lauderdale Knights, and the Florida Pokers all of whom are pretty much out of it. So it seems like the playoff picture is really, you know, the pokers are out, the knights are out, the clippers are out. It's really the ducks hoping that they finish on a high note and someone slips up. 
to fight for that sixth seed. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting fight to the finish. I mean, it happens every year. It is literally down to the last inning of the last regular season game. So it'll be exciting to watch some uh, some fighting going on. And that bubble spot has sure been electric. And like you said, they're going to have to hope for some slip-ups, but the Blazers really did not make that um, possible. As This, this almost reminds me of... Uh, the Portland Trailblazers in the bubble year. Oh, yeah. When they extended that little playoff bracket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Blazers asked for a shot to get in, and they were granted with that access, and they said, you know why I'm here. Went on yeah. a crazy tear to end the season. And I think I think we can expect to see the Blazers in the playoffs this year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like you said, they just went on a tear. They knew what they had to do, and they got the job done. So, Honestly, you know, good for them. I'd love to see them in the playoffs. In a gutsy win last night over the Palm Beach Extreme. <laughs> uh, Matt Seaman going six innings. Also brought to you by Sam Faith carrying the load in Sam the Faith first half of that game. Jacks. What a game that was. Electric atmosphere at Little Fenway. But more importantly, let's talk about what we did on Sunday because that was a ton of fun. The All-Star game at Palm Beach Atlantic. The festivities begun with... The home run derby, and when we got there, the wind was howling. Oh, in pushing from, in in from right field. Yeah, so righties were at an absolute advantage. The lefties did not fare very well. Ryan Majdik, Alex Cordero, no home runs in the first round. Yeah, that has to do it by distance, right? Yeah, yeah. that was what was decided. Yeah, and if you're a loyal listener and tuned into our last uh, podcast, we. Uh, we were very high on both Majdik and Cordero, both guys with crazy pop, and yeah. uh, Mother Nature said not today. Yeah, <laughs> and same with Cesar Franco, also a lefty, uh, yeah. had no shot. Yeah. So uh, Ryan Guida of the Pokers put on a wow, show. Wow, what a show. I was very much taken aback by that. I was in awe. I, I mean, jaw drop. Just based on their swing types, I would have loved to see uh, Guida go against Ross in the first round. I think that would have been... Electric. That would have been electric. electric yeah, I think Guido put up a six spot. It in was the, six in the first round. Yeah, that was crazy. It was a little difficult to communicate the home runs to the press box, so I didn't really keep up with it. Um, but you know, Guido put on a show, and Mason Maxwell of the Buccaneers said it best when he was taken on field BP after the home run derby. He was put on this earth for one reason, and that is to crush baseballs. <laughs> or maybe that was AJ Rico. I think it was AJ. Yeah, I believe it was AJ Rico. Him and uh, Guido have. A little history in terms of being not teammates, but uh, buddies, ball ball players together. Yeah. So I believe isn't Guida at Stetson? Yeah, so I believe they oh, were yeah, teammates yeah. at one point. But um, they're just you know they're just having a fun time out there, and that's really what it was all all day Sunday was just a blast yeah. for the players and everyone there. Yeah, it was a great time. I mean, they were just having fun from the second they got there until the game was over. Which also six inning game that was yeah. a little nuts. Yeah. Went from 10 to 7 to 6. Yeah, the pitchers, there was a, a lack of communication. Not going to name any names, but some pitchers showed up, and they were like, what do you mean I got to pitch? I don't want to pitch. So no arms, no innings, no game, full game. But we'll get to that in a second. I want to talk about who ended up winning the home run derby. Oh, Jack. So <laughs> in the in the first round, Ross Mulhall uh, struggled early in his round, but you know got a few out, and then TJ McKenzie comes up. I think he got two home runs in the yeah, first round. Yeah, it was Ross got two and TJ. And then TJ comes up. He's, you know, he's jacking him. He's got his dad on the mound. Yeah. You know, the McKenzie family, they know how to throw on a mound. <laughs> well, he, he really wasn't for a little bit early yeah. in that round. He wasn't. And then... Uh, the last three pitches. He yeah, said, he dad, he said dad, start throwing him a little inside. And then he just caught that groove. Yeah. And 
turned out to be very successful. Don't want to spoil any further yeah. recap of what <laughs> happened in the home run derby. Yeah, but. so uh, TJ McKenzie hit three straight out to end his round, his last three pitches to put him ahead of Ross Mulhall and head to the semifinals. And then in the bottom of the bracket, it was Mac Moise and Humberto Torres Jr. I don't know how many Torres got, but I know Mac got more. And that was all that mattered. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the story of the day was really just what you said. Mac got more. Yep. Yeah. So then it was the, the semifinals was Majdik versus McKenzie. And then it was Guida and Guida Mac and Mac Moise and Guida struggled in his second round. I believe Mac Moise put up four. I think it was four. Four home runs in the was semifinals. In the semifinal, I thought that I believe that was the one when Mac put on a show, and I believe yes. Mac hit six in the semifinal. No. Yeah, did Mac he? Mac did six? hit six in the I semifinal, think you're right. which oh, uh, turned four. out to be pretty lucky for. Uh, yeah. TJ McKenzie, and all, with all due respect to Majdik, obviously, we've always talked about his explosive pop, but going up against Majdik in the semifinal was almost a... You like Mc, McKenzie. Like, yeah, it was like a buy round for McKenzie. Yeah. Yeah, because he had no shot to go Yeah, to I mean, it's just the the nature of the beast of that field. It's a tough park for a lefty to hit it, for anybody, yeah. let alone a lefty, with that wind blowing in, too. It was just... Not ideal. And but Mac Moyes really didn't think he was going to hit any home runs. He, <laughs> he was like, the wind's going to gust. Yeah. I think three's going to win it. And he was wrong. So Guida uh, and Mac Moyes, Mac put up a big number first. Guida couldn't catch up. TJ advanced, had a really good round, and, you know, kind of just blew by Majdik, setting the stage for a Mac Moyes, TJ McKenzie final. And Mac Moyes went first and put up five home runs. And that, I mean, if you're Mac Moist there, that is a not incredibly comfortable number, but that's a pretty comfortable number to right. put up in the final round. Yeah. I, was, I was talking to Mac after the whole situation happened, and he's like, you know what? He was he was a little down on himself, but I'm like, Mac, you put out five and put on an absolute show. If you, if you recall, I would say three out of those five were moonshots. Yeah. yeah. Cleared the fence by a 15, lot. 20 yeah. feet, so... That's all you can ask for. And then TJ McKenzie had called timeout early in his semifinal round, and I was like, hey, whoa, what, what, what like, are you doing? Is it gas? What's going yeah, on? Yeah. 40 seconds in, and then, man, he didn't even need all his time to get <laughs> <No>. six. <laughs> it was an impressive feat, and he walked away with a lovely custom bat from our friends at Dovetail Bats that says Home Run Derby Champion. And, hey, shout out to Vanderbilt Baseball for throwing us a retweet. And Yeah, Vandy was showing us a lot of love. Oh, yeah. At Vandy Boys, I really appreciate it. As the social media manager <laughs> for the Bucks, uh, you really blew up my spot, so I th- I send out a thank you for that one. Also, TJ, after he won, the people's champ. He was out oh, behind okay. the dugout signing baseballs for the little leaguers that was there, giving them hugs, taking pictures. I mean, what a guy. Shaking hands, kissing Shaking babies. hands. <laughs> and what a, what a performance we had. We had uh, we were gracious enough to have little leaguers come. I believe the Phipps Park Little League yeah. was XL, there. XL, XL baseball. XL. Shout, yeah. out, shout out to Ryan Lamb for setting that up. Um and getting those kids out there, they were running around having a blast, and then everyone flocked to TJ right after the round to you know meet him and be like, oh my god, yeah, and it's it's pretty cool to have someone there. Like oh that. yeah, it was precious, absolutely adorable. Yeah, especially this being um, some of our first year on an internship working for a baseball league, it's uh really cool to see something like that where he was like, like you said, just hugging kids outside, signing balls. It it's just a really wholesome scene and uh, just another part of baseball that. Really draws us all in as America's pastime. How can you not be romantic about baseball? Mm-hmm. 
And then we go to the All-Star game itself that started earlier than expected. We had some explosive VP, some really good I.O. performances, and you know a, a decent amount of scouts in attendance. The stands were full for the All-Star game, and it was everyone between families and you know regular baseball fans and teammates supporting their teammates. It was really a great crowd on hand for what turned into a six-inning exhibition. And unfortunately, nobody kept a book, so nobody really knows what happened. <laughs> But uh, our, our MVPs of the North and South Division, the North Division was Chris Seymour of the Boynton Beach Buccaneers, who I believe had two strikeouts. Yeah, two strikeouts and topped out at 95 on the day. So yeah. it was more of his stuff that really flashed to the committee, I guess. <laughs> and then the South Division. Brooks Bryan. Brooks Bryan, yeah. Started behind the dish of the West Boca Snappers and put on a show, you know, but defensively didn't do anything too crazy, but... I think he probably got like he hit a double. Yeah. He hit an RBI double. Yeah. Offensively was where he uh shined. And that's what Ben and I were speaking about on the broadcast was, you know, it's an all star game and if the wind was blowing out and maybe it was at a more friendly ballpark, maybe would we would have seen some fireworks. But in that ballpark in that setting, what we saw on the field was pretty much exactly what you could have expected. The, yeah. the score was five four. I mean, some runs crossed, there were a few, you know, extra base hits, but other than that, pretty controlled baseball from both sides. Yeah, and I mean, it was an exhibition game. I mean, the most you can look for in that is the guys having a good time, you know, putting on a show for the fans, and I think, you know, they achieved that. I had a great time. Yeah. Jack? And you certainly see that with uh, Chris Seymour winning the North Division MVP. It's a lot of these guys I was talking to again, and they said, hey, we're we're swinging for the fence here. Like, yeah. we're, they're not hiding no secrets. Right. You know, uh, they're swinging for the fence here. So it's a good opportunity for them. Of course, the person who won MVP – Gets an extra base hit, but like like for a pitcher, it's it's easy to show off when yeah. you know the guy's swinging for the fences. And it's really tough to name a MVP of each side when everyone only really got like one or two ABs. Right, so that was pretty tough. But uh, congratulations to them. Another special thank you to our friends at Dovetail Bats for sponsoring that, and our friends at Diamond Prospect Media did an outstanding job. I don't know how their fingers didn't fall off. What are you going to say? And one more shout oh. out to the people at ESPN West Palm yes. for showing up and recording the yeah. game. That was great. Um, ESPN West Palm did a story on the MLB draft from the SFCBL, and then they were also there for the All-Star game. But Diamond Prospect Media, man, oh, man, every single player that was at that game had a clip tweeted or posted on Instagram with them tagged, their school tag, both offensively and defensively. Just cannot thank them enough for, you know, all the pub they got. It seemed like our phones were blowing up yeah, from the it was mentions. Huge. It was so huge. special thank you to them. Um, but yeah, that was All Star 2021, a weekend and a day really that everyone was looking forward to. Uh, kind of weirdly placed in the season where it's towards the tail end, but the season's not over yet. So you can't, you know, have all your pitchers ready. You know, a guy like Cole Stasio couldn't go. Nathan Rintz went for the North Division. Um, but a great event all around, and now it is time to look towards the playoffs. We'll talk a little bit about that at the end of the show after our interviews, and we have our Pitcher and Player of the Week. Four interviews coming up. It is Trevor Cole from the Boca Raton Blazers and Max Sharnan of the Delray Beach Lightning. I think this is the first time that we're having on both Player and Pitcher of the Week. I think so, too. Yeah. Well, both guys happy enough and 
willingly coming on the podcast. Willingly. <laughs> I would hope that all of our guests are coming on willingly. Well, you know, also <laughs> also sometimes we uh so also sometimes we film a little earlier in the day, so I'm sure a lot of these younger guys being in college, they really appreciate a, a day like today where coming in later in the studios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. F- fits their schedule a little easier. Definitely. So without further ado, let it get into our first conversation with Trevor Cole. Right after that, we'll have Max Sharnan, and then we'll wrap things up. So here it is, Trevor Cole from the Boca Raton Blazers, your Week 7 Player of the Week. We are now joined by the Player of the Week for Week 7, Trevor Cole in the SFCBL Podcast Studio. Trevor, thanks for taking the time to do this with us today. Thank you for having me. So big week for you, uh, 9 for 18, 7 RBIs, 4 walks, hitting 500 on the week. What was the mentality last week going into the All-Star break um, and you where you really turned it on offensively? I think most importantly it came from momentum from the Blazers pulling off six in a row. I think that's the most important stat, and uh, the leagues appeared to let the Blazers in the playoffs, and that's the biggest mistake they could have made because the Blazers are hot. The Blazers are undoubtedly hot. What has that been like to ride that wave with your team? Obviously you kind of started off the season pretty hot, hit a rut in the middle of the season and have really turned it on down the home stretch. It's been amazing. Every, the pitchers have been throwing it amazing. Benny, McGran, Cole Stasio, they're all pitching great, spotting up. The walks have really like decreased, probably cut in half completely. Everyone's swinging it. Everyone's really coming together. The camaraderie within the team's really amazing. Yeah, I was just going to say something about that. Uh now that you're heating up, and like you were mentioning, a lot of the team is starting to heat up. What does that mean entering the playoffs? And have you been paying attention to matchups that much as in terms of who you're going to play? Or are you guys just thinking uh, along the lines of, give us a chance and uh, we'll beat whoever's in our way? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it really matters who's in front of us. It kind of stacks up great for us. We got three days of rest before heading into the playoffs. So we'll have pretty much all of our pitchers ready to go. And I, I think whoever we match up against will uh, fare well. The extreme last night, so I mean, anything's possible. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, big win for the Blazers last night. Uh, we talked about it earlier in the podcast, kind of messing with our heads. We're talking in the future, but it didn't actually happen yet. Um, but yeah, a big win to send the Blazers into the playoffs. Uh, for you personally, what do you think changed from the beginning of the season towards now as you're heating up just at the right time, you know, when the games really are going to start to matter? And the playoffs in the SFCBL, as we've talked about earlier in this episode, it's a sprint. So you got to be hot, you know, three consecutive days if you really want to make a run and try to get a ring. What What do you think has changed for you, and what do you think you've really turned on uh, by this point in the season? I just think getting later in the season, seeing more at-bats, seeing more pitching, I've gotten more comfortable up there. I've, uh, I did a lot of, like, like looking into my swing, videoed all my swings. I, I follow this uh, guy, teacher man on Twitter who really teaches how to get into your back hip. And that's really like sat with me well since I've started doing that. It's changed my, let my like, my eye level was shifting too much when I was struggling earlier in the beginning of the season. It's really caused me to get hot because less moving parts, more like simplifying it. Uh, I see a lot of guys that follow. Uh, I think you said he was on Instagram, the coach that you were just mentioning. Uh, the how big is that becoming in like SF or not SFCBL but just summer leagues around the nation? Uh, kids watching local Instagram coaches that have really uh, seemed to prove impactful. Yeah, there's so many guys out on Twitter now that have such amazing uh, theories and thoughts about the swing, and 
I personally, I love watching like the littler guys in the MLB swing and how they create so much power. You watch Mookie Betts and Trey Turner and tear it up and such little body and Trey Turner six one, but smaller bodies for an MLB player and you see how they have success and try and repeat that. Yeah, I think it's increasing just not in baseball, but in all sports that, you know, guys are, you know, they're relying on their coaches that they have, but they're also kind of venturing into new things, whether that be on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter. There's a lot of people that are lending their expertise to the general public. And I think some people at the lowest level of the game and even to the higher levels like collegiate baseball, and I'm sure even, you know, some minor league and major league are getting some tidbits from people online. I mean, we talked uh, when we had Pip on the podcast a few episodes ago, he was saying that, you know, our friend Dan Carter learned how to pitch, you know, I think it was like a, a cutter or a slider that he found on TikTok and he, you know, went in and threw it the next day. So I think that uh, is something that's really, really growing. Uh, Trevor, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, kind of what it's been like, you know, you're at Florida Gulf Coast and you have a few guys of your teammates that are in this league, Mac Moyce on the, on the Lightning uh, and Jelani Rogers on the Bucks, just to name a few. What has it been like to face off against your uh, school teammates this summer? It has been so much fun. I've faced Seymour twice this summer. He was my roommate, so that's always fun to square off against him. Seeing Mac Moyes make a uh, noise in the home run derby was awesome. He has five home runs on the year. Guy swings it like no one else. It's great playing against Jelani. It's always great to see them, talk to them, chat them up, have a chirp a little bit during the game. It's always a great time. Do you think that your success and, you know, Mac's success and Jelani's success, do you think that might, you know, lend itself to find some more of your teammates making their way into this league in the future? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's been a, a lot of uh, FGCU guys that have come through in the past, and I think coaches love sending guys into the league, and I, I expect to see more in the future. Offensively as a team, I know I've talked about your personal success, but what do you think has clicked for the Blazers? You guys are, you know, on a six-game winning streak. What do you think has really change or what turn the tides? I just think everyone's really aggressive up there and feeling comfortable. Everyone's seeing uh, pitches in the zone early and not missing it and catching barrels and hitting the ball hard. And one through nine's like being phenomenal right now. Our young guys, Clark and Alfaro and me as well. I'm a young guy. It's all been coming through. And then older guys have been doing it all year. So it's just it's a good blend and everything's coming together at the right time. And you're right up there in the hits uh, on this on the year in the league. You got 28 hits in 27 games. You've had a hit in seven of your last 10. Certainly doing everything you can to help your team on the field defensively. Um, I think you've grown. I would say uh, in the field, just you know, building more confidence uh, in the middle infield. What do you think? You know, you've. What do you think's changed? Maybe since your year in the spring over at FGCU and you know what are you going to hope to take there in the fall yeah well the, uh, our infield coach at, over at FGCU is amazing he works with me every single day we go <clears throat> before practice and early work and he's phenomenal and our shortstop this year is probably one of the best players that will go down in FGCU history he was a COVID senior so he came back he, his name's uh, Richie Garcia and I would follow him around at practice do everything he did try and repeat and just try and fill his shoes this year and fill right into that role so we don't skip a beat. For sure. Um, so I guess looking forward, um, the Blazers will probably most definitely make the playoffs. Nothing is official yet, but it'll come out Thursday. 
Um, what do you think is most important for your squad? Obviously, three days off in South Florida, there's a lot of things to do in your free time. What do you think is going to be most important to focus on and really hone in prepping for your first playoff game, which will be on Friday uh, in the morning or early afternoon? Just make sure everyone keeps working, keeps swinging it. We'll be in the gym. We'll be uh, getting better and we'll be ready to go by uh, Friday or Thursday whenever playoffs start. For sure. Jack, anything else? Yeah, just adding on to that, I mean, I'm sure the three extra days are going to be prove critical for everyone's pitching staff around the, around the league and for everyone who made the playoffs. And for especially for guys that went last night, guys like uh, Benny and even even your aces like Cole Sassio getting some n- extra nights off for that arm. I'm sure it's going to prove great for you guys. And uh, like we've all been saying, I think the Blazers have the pitching staff to shock the world this year in the playoffs. I agree. I agree. All right, well, Trevor, I'll let you go. You know, you got to go out and get some swings in this afternoon with the Blazers on the off day. I really appreciate you coming in, and congratulations once again on earning Week 7 Player of the Week honors. Appreciate you guys having me. Uh, Suns and seven. There it is. Trevor Cole, thanks for joining us. We are now joined by the Pitcher of the Week for Week number 7, Max Sharnin of the Delray Beach Lightning. Max, thanks for joining us. How you doing? Good, thank you. So, uh, first things first, um, you earned Pitcher of the Week. You had seven innings pitched in an outstanding outing. I believe it was nine Ks, and you earned the W. Recently committed to Florida Memorial after attending Mid American Christian. Um, you know what was yes, that? Sir. What was that outing like for you? And I guess we'll start there. What was that outing like? And you know, kind of how did it feel to go out there and just shove uh, seven scoreless? Well, it felt really good at the end, but the game plan to start was to pretty much attack the hitters early with all the pitches I had, and it was uh, it was a really good day, and everything was working for me. You faced 25 batters in seven innings in an eight-nothing victory over the Fort Lauderdale Knights, and you did just that. You showed all of your stuff. It's your third year with the Delray Beach Lightning. What's really led you to come back each and every year? I know you're a local kid, went to Atlanta Community High. Um, what has it been like to, you know, keep coming back to the Lightning year after year? Uh, it's really the atmosphere and the competition that the league brings each and every year. And the coaching from Bo McMillan, he really not only just does his job as a coach, but he really breaks down every single play and what happens and teaches us as the game goes. Yeah, it seems like, you know, being around the Lightning, it seems like Bo is one of the more, you know, bought-in guys out of the entire league. Like you said, a guy that after every play, he's turning back to the dugout and saying, hey, guys, did you see this? Did you see what they did? And I think that, you know, is something that a lot of, you know, summer ball coaches don't really do, and he's really going that extra mile to help you guys out. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, encouragement, and it gives us a lot of intel and wants us to succeed and get to the next level. For sure. So the Lightning home field is Little Fenway, and you attending Atlantic Community High, your home field in high school is also Little Fenway, so you have been pitching there for quite some time and playing there for quite some time. What has it been like for you to you know stay home and you know really be on such familiar turf? Oh, it's perfect. It's a blessing. And seeing that field from my freshman year of high school all the way to my sophomore year of college, it's been growing tremendously throughout the years, and it's really awesome to see. 
For sure. So talk to me a little bit about uh, your recent commitment. You were at Mid-American Christian, and I just got word that you have recently committed to Florida Memorial. So first of all, congratulations. But second of all, thank you. what are you really excited about uh, in your new journey? Oh, uh, well, I'll be about an hour away from home, which was my dream to play baseball in Florida since I left high school. Um, but I get to just prove myself and it's another chapter in my life and it's something that I'm very confident with and I'm very glad to be a Lion. So looking back at this season with the Lightning, this your best cumulative season out of your three in the SFCBL, a 2-3-1 ERA in eight appearances, 23 Ks in 23 and a third, uh, and your lowest amount of hits allowed, too. It's 20. Uh, what what do you think has stuck out differently this year uh, compared to the previous two summers with the Lightning? Uh, just this year in particular, um, I've been working really hard, uh, just off the field mainly, uh, my fi- kind of finding myself, uh, working on the mechanics, uh, working on the mental part of the game, and uh, just trying to stay healthy throughout the summer and uh, continue striving. And I just, um, this team gives me all the confidence in the world to pitch. So I'm very happy about that. Absolutely. A lot of good guys in the dugout to, you know, continuously pick you up and make sure you're in there. Um, The other question I had for you was, uh, what do you think you've really learned this year? Or what do you think you've really improved on if you just had to, pinpoint one thing um, as you'll take to your next school? Uh, confidence. It's what I lack. Uh, I can always pitch, but it's just the how I present with myself on the mound. Uh, it comes a long way, and I think that's what helps as a pitcher for any pitcher, really. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you might be one of the calmest guys on the mound I've ever seen. Your demeanor, your face, I mean, when I'm taking pictures of guys on the mound, they're usually making some ridiculous face when they're when they're throwing the ball, but you stay completely, you know, you keep that straight face from when you come set to when you finish your pitch, and I don't know if that's just by virtue of your mechanics or just how calm you are, but it seems like you're always in control and you never really get too ruffled out there. Yeah, that's the key. You got to be composed and control. So, Max, I'll let you get out of here in just a second, but I wanted to look forward to the playoffs and talk to you a little bit about that. Um, first of all, you've had experience. You know, you've seen the SFCBL playoffs before. It's a sprint, and it, it kind of sets itself apart where you need sustained pitching over three days, really four games, if you want to win the championship. Um, looking at your Lightning squad, you guys have had some guys – have to take off for, you know, specific reasons that we don't really have to talk about. But what do you think is right. going to be important for the Lightning and especially your pitching staff if you guys want to make a run at a ring? Oh, well, I'm very excited that playoff time has come. And uh, for this staff to succeed in this playoffs, is uh, they're going to have to do a lot. But I think every at-bat, every pitch is going to count. Um, they need to really lock in, focus, and – uh, show that they want it. That's really what it comes down to, who wants it the most. And I think that this Lightning team gives that a lot. Well, Max, I'm excited to see you on the Hill, and I'm excited to see what the Lightning can do. Maybe 
do some damage in the playoffs and make a run at a championship. And hey, you'll be in comfortable confines at Little Fenway for the duration of the playoffs. Max, I want to thank you again for doing this with us and best of luck in the postseason for you and the Lightning. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Take care. All right, have a good one. Thanks. So that is Max Sharnin, our Week 7 Pitcher of the Week. And guys, this is our last, second-to-last podcast together. Um, what do we think uh, out of those two interviews? I think Trevor gave us some really good stuff, and Max also gave us some really good nuggets. Yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they're going to do in the playoffs. Um, like you said, I mean, they just gave us great stuff all season, and I'm excited to see what they're going to do in the stretch. Yeah, it was definitely interesting to hear some insight from uh, Max. Like you said, he's very serious the entire time on the mound. So hearing a little bit of his personal side is nice, and uh, meeting these guys is always nice, even this late in the year. Yeah, and Max Sharnin's going to have to take a brunt of the load yeah. on the mound for the Lightning. And if he can go seven scoreless in a playoff game, that'll certainly help the load management of his fellow pitchers. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Like you said, I mean, they're going to have to work some magic with their pitching staff this upcoming weekend. So we'll see what they got going on. It's crazy to think that we're using the term load management here in the <laughs> SFCBL, but are, it's it's perfect for the situation. Like you said, uh, a lot of these guys aren't going to have all their pitching staff. And even before this, we knew that using your pitching staff wisely is going to be huge for every team in the playoffs. Yeah, and the craziest thing is once you use a guy, he's done for the playoffs. So as much as it's important to you know focus on the game in front of you because it's obviously single elimination, once you're done, you're done, you also got to think about, hey, if we make it to the championship, who are we going to have down the stretch? And right. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some position players take the hill in some key spots for any team. Oh, it's absolutely going to happen. I mean, they really have no choice, like you said. I mean, guys are leaving for one reason or another, but they got to – really put in some strategy into these games. Yeah, right away as you say that, Brian, I'm thinking of guys like uh, Mason Maxwell, Quinn Mimnaw, um, Ryan Majdik, all position players. Dylan yeah. Besnier. Antonio Dylan Christopher. Besnier, yeah, a lot a bunch of, guys. of guys. who can throw the ball. And, I mean, how effective they're going to be is, is going to be the question, obviously. But we'll see. We'll see. I'm really excited. Yeah, I think it's going to be important. I think the only guy you could bounce back is a closer. So, say you – are in the first round and you don't have a you don't have a bye in the first round, so that would require you to play Friday, Saturday, two games Sunday, possible game one, game three Monday. If you close a guy on Friday, there's potential he could bounce back for Sunday, but no way you're getting a guy on back to back days. And maybe if your starter on Friday doesn't throw too many pitches and you force a game three in the championship, then you can bounce him back. But other than that, once they're in, they're done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I'm thinking. Um, right away is if uh, we see this in the World Series just about every year, is that uh, that starter and relief option. Like you said, if they have a starter that goes like five or six and you're in a really brawl of a game on either Sunday or Monday, I wouldn't be shocked to see some of these ace starters, like maybe even Cole Stasio, to throw one or two innings on the back end of a Sunday game. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's going to be a lot of strategy that's going to need to be used um and the heat too like we were yeah. talking about it earlier these games are played at 10 and 1 and this is the heat of the day in the end of july in south florida so these guys really got to pay attention to what their body's telling them they got to hydrate they got to make sure they're getting their rest in and we're just hoping for the best for the whole weekend absolutely and i i know all these coaches have some 
form of experience in the SFCBL. So you got to think they're already looking towards the playoffs. And if they don't have it figured out, they're going to have it figured out in the coming days because you can't go, you know, you can't just wing it in the playoffs because yeah. you'll run out of pitchers real fast. Yeah. So we do look towards the playoff schedule. We have the schedule is set in stone. Well, not the bracket. The times are the set times, in stone. The times, yep. So they will go as follows. On Friday, we'll have a 10 a.m. and a 1, a 1 p.m. game, both at Little Fenway. On Saturday, for the semifinals, we'll also have a 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. game. And then on Sunday, the championship series will commence where we will have a noon game and a 3 o'clock game. And if one team sweeps both of those games, we have a champion Sunday afternoon. If not, winner take all Monday night at 7 p.m. Yeah. Man, I sure hope. Uh, disregarding of who the team is in that championship series, I really hope we get to see that do or die game on Monday night. And you it's just gonna so? be it's just gonna be chaotic with the yeah. pitchers that have to be used. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot. I mean, the past couple of years we've had no game three, so I think we might be due for one. I think we're due. So if you're listening to this, that way the playoffs will commence on the 23rd, 24th, and 25th, if needed. July 26th, Monday at 7 p.m. And, you know, Trevor said Suns in seven. Maybe that's a little omen for a Blazers in three. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but as far as programming goes from us, as soon as the playoff brackets go final, I believe myself and the commissioner will record a podcast Thursday night and put it out right after we know who is where, uh, just for everyone to have a an update and then, Really excited to have a new, I don't know what we're going to call it yet, but a new piece of programming for the playoffs from the SFCBL where myself and the commissioner will stick around after after each game at Fenway. We'll have a recap after both games on Friday and both games on Saturday, and then we'll put out you know a recap of what happened and a preview of the next day in about a 10-minute bite-sized piece. So if you can't tune into our live broadcast, you could take 10 minutes and really find out what went what went down. Great piece of media, I think. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So we will have that for you. And then after the championship series goes final, the three of us will convene for one final time. We'll say our goodbyes. We'll wrap up the season. Jack with a tear down his <laughs> tears running down Rolling his cheek. Rolling down his cheek. Um, we'll have a, a wrap-up podcast, and then that'll be it. But we will be live for every single one of the games. Every pitch will be broadcasted on SFCBL underscore official. So – Maybe you're at work on Friday. Maybe uh, you don't like being at work and you want to tune into some high-quality college baseball. It's a great time to do it. So be don't, sure you're Don't following. get fired, though. Yeah, don't get fired. <laughs> Listen Where, responsibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe like, put it on on the side, flip the phone upside down, just have the earbuds in. Nobody has to know. Um, myself and Ben Millam will be on the call. Um, we had a lot of fun at the All-Star Game, which we already talked about in this episode. Uh, and, guys, I, I cannot wait for playoff baseball. You know, this week we're recording this on July 20th. We have two more days of baseball that really are going to determine seedings. Some people still have doubleheaders to play. Some people just have a few games left. And, you know, it's still anyone's game. The playoffs very much not set in stone. And, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. And you'll know, if you're listening to this, you'll know Thursday night who is where. And then Friday the action gets going. Love it. Like you said, Brian, we'll get back to you as soon as possible. But <laughs> for now, it's all, that's all for we now, got. For now, all we have is a bunch of 
collective lukewarm takes. So. Yep. <laughs> so that'll do it for the second to last true episode of the SFCBL Triple Play Podcast. We'll see you on Thursday for the playoff preview and then next Monday as we say goodbye. Take care, everybody. And, hey, it's playoffs. <laughs>